we rotate 360 degrees high high 360 degrees high high 306 306 360 degrees high high Hello listeners, tonight we're at the end of the station's fun drive and we're asking that folks who can give will go to the kpfa.org website to make a past few weeks you've heard all about the amazing people and events that have been brought to you via KPFA. Let's do our best to pitch in to try and make sure that this broadcast venue continues. And now we'll listen to a little bit more of our intro music because my co-host, I've lost my co-host and I have to call her back. Thank you. Station's fun drive, and we're asking that everybody who can donate will please donate by going to the kpfa.org website to make a donation. I am going to recue the music because we are in a new, uh, we now have a digital board and things are not um, always working the way they're expected to work. I do have a co-host tonight, Joy Moore, so I will play the music again while we try and get her back on the line.
welcome, Joy. So I hope that you can hear me and that you're on the line. Let's see. Yes, I'm here and I'm on the line. All right. Joy, are you on the line? Go ahead. All right. We're on the cusp of Memorial Day weekend. Is that where we are, Mickey? Yep, that's it. It has been a tragic year for many. Tonight, we'll give you, the listeners, an opportunity to give recognition to your departed loved ones, family members or friends, no matter when they passed away. Honoring and remembering is how they stay with us. We're your hosts. I'm Joy Moore and Miss M. Please stay with us. All okay, right. we're back. We are. <laughs> Y'all have to forgive us. We are trying something new, trying to be live in the studio uh, virtually. But anyway, tonight we're going to hear the names of loved ones who are no longer with us. If you want to mention someone and you want to honor them and or express your ongoing love for them, you can give us a call later. We're going to open up the lines for everybody to call in. Okay, while we are waiting for uh, that, what we're, and again, I want folks to know that we are still understaffed because the station is not open up yet. So there's no production assistance. So please give us time to get to your call. When we say you're on the air, we'll want you to tell us your name or whatever name you want to use and tell us where you're calling from. So I'm going to start with giving a shout out to my loved ones. First, I'll start with my friend Jerry, Jerry Lange, who passed away in April. Some of you remember Miss Lange from back in the day. Jerry was the first, yes, the first black woman to host a national talk show. It was a turnabout show on KQED. Jerry was my friend, my hero, and she enabled me to go with her to many lovely places. Love you, Jerry. I'm also sending my internal love to Chester Gould, my dear friendship, my grandparents, Susie Sharpley and John Sharpley, my brother, Claude McClura, and my dear, underappreciated mother, Gladys Irving. Joy? Yes. Um, so I... Um I want to give all of you a chance to call in during this music show. So we want to give you, give you the phone number to get ready to give it, to call us later. Um, the phone number is, are, are, the phone numbers are, <laughs> my tongue's not working, 510-848-4425 or 1-800-958. Nine zero zero eight. Once again, we're going to take a little music break, but while we're um, doing that, you can call in 510-848-4425 or toll-free 1-800-958-9008. 
Wow. Sadness. You listen to Full Circle. I'm Joy Moore, and Miss M is holding down the fort. They, I, that was I'll Be Seeing You by Joe Stafford. <clears throat> Thank you, Miss M, for sharing that song. And I want to share with you some of the people I hold in my heart <clears throat> and memory. I'd like to begin with my ancestors as far back as our family story goes or that we know. My paternal grandparents were Ruby Patterson Moore and Paul David Moore Sr. My maternal great-grandfather was Nathaniel Jackson, and my maternal grandparents were S. Wally Muhammad and Louise Laika Muhammad. My mom, Edna Dees, and my dad was Norman David Moore. All gone from this plane, but still alive and loved in my heart and soul. I also want to honor Dr. Kanye McMichael Wright, my god sister. Kanye was brilliant and kind, <clears throat> and as a librarian, she loved her community, and she worked hard to show her love and to broaden her community's horizons by teaching them and leading them to read. She showed me her love as the first person who tried to teach me to jump double Dutch rope. She made me feel good about myself, and I will always love her. You are Miss Kanya. And then my good friend Hank Herrera, longtime food justice and community leader. He was trained as a medical doctor and psychiatrist, but opted to serve people in another way, although he combined all those skills in his work. Hank was an indigenous activist who fought for the rights to land and food for all people, especially indigenous people. Hank was very active in the organic food farming movement with EcoFarm, UC Santa Cruz Center for Agroecology and Sustainable Food Systems, also known as CASPIS, and many, many other organizations. He was a pioneering, insightful, caring man. He is loved and missed by many, including me. And there will be a link to an article about Hank and his work in Food First that was published um, November 24th, 2020. You'll find it on our link after the show. And finally, a good friend of mine, Bob Williamson, left his plane January 20th, 2020. He's married to my one of my best friends, Wendy Stuhl, and they're godparents to my grandson. And he was a longtime president of the American Postal Workers Union, San Francisco local. His fellow unions named the building at 20, 1239 Howard Street in San Francisco, the Bob Williamson Building. He was a dear friend. He is loved and will be missed always. Thank you, Bob, for being my friend. Ah, this has been a year of great loss for many of us, but... We who remain must remember and continue to love those who came before and left too soon. Okay, Joy, now we're going to hear from some of the listeners. First, we have Silka. Go ahead, Silka. Welcome, Silka. That you have this show. I was driving in my car. And just thinking of my beloved mentor in hospice massage, Irene Smith, 
she uh, passed away in April. And it's a wonderful way to honor her. Um, she taught so many people to be present with a hospice um, people who were at the end of their life. She um, was mm -hmm. very influential in the 80s to his HIV patients in San Francisco. She was sitting at their bedside and she was just an incredible woman, courageous and... Um, loving so i just want to cheer out for her and all people who know her and love her and um we had the memorial yesterday and it was very touching with hawaiian music and poetry and so thank you thank you so much for sharing that you know our loved ones live on in our hearts and our mind and our spirit as long as we remember and honor them they live on. Thank you for sharing that. And now we have Rodney. Hello, welcome to Full Circle. Hello. Go ahead, Rodney. Um, I just wanted to say goodbye to my brother. I only have one brother. Rodney, can you hear us? Huh? Yeah. He can hear us and I can hear him. Yeah. I don't even well, I guess Rodney's not hearing us, so I'm going to try and no, uh, get the next caller, Joy, and you can us. just talk a little bit. You can mention the names of the apprentices that we've lost over the years. Okay. Okay, but I just want to... Uh, he can hear us, Mickey, and he's talking. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, keep on talking, Rodney. She'll hear it in a minute. Please tell us about your brother. Well... He just he just fought hard for people, and um, you know just just somebody who deserves to be here. My cousin, he went to prison. The normal the normal thing, a black man goes to prison, but he he, he when he got out, he got his master's degree in in mathematics, and very few people get that. And I know my brother had a lot to do with that. And so his work just affects me. Yeah. His work. His work. People we love, we love forever. Yep. And he's one. Yep. Thank you so much, Rodney. Really appreciate you sharing that. Your brother is loved and missed, and the world is hearing that from you right now. Thank you for joining us on okay. Full Circle. And now we have Sharon. What's that? Hi, Sharon. Welcome, welcome to Full oh. Circle. Oh, that's still Hi, Rodney. Joy. Let's see if we can. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Joy. Um, hi. I just wanted to uh, remember recent losses. I've had many over the years, but uh, I lost my husband, Craig Dwayne Peterson, and my parents-in-law, Betty Louise Freeman Peterson and Dwayne Alfred Peterson, in a span of eight months. And, uh, 20, and uh, none were caused by COVID, but... COVID complicated everything. Um, yeah. Betty and I became, yeah. Betty and I became good friends over the decades. 
Uh, Dwayne was the closest thing to a father that I ever had. Mm-hmm. As for Craig, for over 40 years, Craig was my mm-hmm. lover, best friend, and reality check. And mm-hmm. a progressive activist in electoral politics, working mm-hmm. with the uh, Peter Camejo campaign during the Davis recall. Ah, uh, Craig Presente. Yeah. I He's president. He's president you. Go ahead. Thank you. I, I believe that too. I have no words for how much I miss how much I miss him. But I felt I needed to bring them to the listeners tonight. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, it's important. We we live with people. We love them. We get used to them, and then they leave us. And then what do we do? We live our life the best we can. We honor and remember them whenever we can, and we keep going. There's a lot of people say life is hard, life is sad, life is mean. But what's the alternative? Precisely. So I'm happy that you shared with us. It's, I'm Thank so you. happy you shared with us, Sharon. We love you. Thank you. Love you, too. Take care. Okay, I want to um, mention the names of some of the apprentices who have passed. And then we will hear a clip from Lois Sawyer, who was an apprentice and then went on to... Um, who volunteered and then went on to become actually a staff person here. So those names are Louis Sawyer, Jenna Holta, John Watanabe, Veronica Faisant, Raquel Aguirre, Johannes Strahr, and Allison Johns. So Joy's going to talk a little bit about Louis while I get his clip ready. Go ahead, Joy. Louis is still for me my leader, my champion, my advocate. He was always positive. He was always honest. He always did what he said he was going to do. And he was the person that I first met when I volunteered at KPFA back in 1969. I was 18 years old. And my mom said, it was 1969, as y'all may remember, some of you, the, uh, National Guard was patrolling the city. My mom didn't want me to go anywhere without listening to KPFA. And then once I listened to it, I was like, wow, they got phone calls and they're getting subscriptions. So I came down to volunteer. And Lewis was the first person that I saw. And he was so sunny and so positive. And and he looked like me. And I was shocked at that. So... He was volunteering then, I think, just temporarily, and I didn't see him for a long, long time. But in 1999, I applied for the apprenticeship program, and guess who was at one of my interviews? <laughs> Interviewees. Interviewers, excuse me, Louis Sawyer. And so he was my friend, my companion. I miss him dearly, and he is who made KPFA special for me. And I'll never forget him. And I'll never stop loving him as long as I live. Here's a clip that Lou, from Lewis on a segment he did on Ida B. Wells. 
Iola, Princess of the Press, the story of feminist crusader for equality and justice, Ida B. Wells Barnett. A tireless champion of her people, Ida B. Wells was the first of eight children born to Jim and Elizabeth Wells in Mississippi in 1862, six months before chattel slavery was ended with the Emancipation Proclamation. Her parents, who had been slaves, were able to support their children because Elizabeth was an excellent cook and Jim a skilled carpenter. But when Ida was only 16, her parents and their youngest sibling died of yellow fever during an epidemic. In keeping with the strength and fortitude she demonstrated throughout her remarkable life, Ida took responsibility for raising her six younger siblings with her grandmother's help. Educated nearby Rust College, a school run by white missionaries, Ida was forced to drop out. She got a full-time job teaching by lying about her age and spent weekends washing, ironing, and cooking for her large family. Wells eventually moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where she taught school in a small town called Woodstock and continued her education by attending Fisk University and Lemoyne Institute during the summers. Her career as a writer was sparked by an incident that occurred in 1884 while riding a train back to her job in Woodstock. Wells was asked by the conductor to move from her seat in the ladies' car into the smoking car. I refuse, she later wrote, describing how the conductor tried to drag her out of her seat. The moment he caught hold of my arm, I fastened my teeth in the back of his hand. I had braced my feet against the seat in front and was holding on to the back. And as he had already been badly bitten, he didn't try it again by himself. He went forward and got the baggage man and another man to help him. And of course, they succeeded in dragging me out. When Wells got back to Memphis, she brought suit against the railroad company. The court ruled in her favor and awarded her $500 in damages. The judge presiding over the trial stated the railroad company violated the separate but equal laws by forcing Wells to ride in the smoking car that was separate but not first class as she had paid for. Even though the Tennessee Supreme Court reversed the decision three years later, this was the first case of its kind in the South and generated tremendous public interest. Thrilled with her victory and eager to share her story, Wells wrote an article for The Living Way, a Memphis black newspaper, using her pen name, Iola. Her prolific writing soon earned her the position of editor for three Memphis newspapers, The Living Way, The Evening Star, and Free Speech, becoming a part owner of the latter. All of this, although gratifying, surprised me very much, for I had no training except what the work on the Evening Star had given me, and no literary gifts and graces. But I had observed and thought much about conditions as I had seen them in the country schools and churches. I had an instinctive feeling that the people who had little or no school training should have something coming into their homes weekly, which dealt with their problems in a simple helpful way. So in weekly letters to the living way, I wrote in a plain, common sense way on the things which concerned our people. Knowing that their education was limited, I never used a word of two syllables where one would serve the purpose. I signed these articles, Iola. On exposing the inferior facilities of black schools around Memphis, Wells was fired from her teaching job but was then free to devote full-time to the fight for justice and equality. She quickly became a famous writer whose articles appeared in journals and newspapers throughout the nation. One reporter noted, 
Miss Ida B. Wells, Iola, has been called the princess of the press, and she has well earned the title. No writer, the male fraternity not accepted, has been more extensively quoted. In her autobiography, she wrote, While I was thus carrying on the work of my newspaper, happy in the thought that our influence was helpful and that I was doing the work I loved and had proved that I could make a living out of it, there came the lynching in Memphis, which changed the whole course of my life. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the on one of my trips away from home, busily engaged in Natchez when word came of the lynching of free men in Memphis. It was during a cold night in March 1892. Wells' close friends, Thomas Moss, Calvin McDowell, and Henry Stewart, owners of People's Grocery Company, had angered white men who considered them uppity and sought to eliminate the competition they posed by an armed attack on their grocery store. But the brothers fought back, shooting one of the attackers. Shortly thereafter, all three were arrested. A mob of cursing, shouting white men broke into the jail at Memphis, dragged them away from town, and brutally murdered them. Wells responded to this atrocious act of violence by writing an editorial in the free speech. She noted the lynching was really, quote, an excuse to get rid of Negroes who were acquiring wealth and property and thus keep the race terrorized and quote-unquote keep the nigger down. The city of Memphis has demonstrated that neither character nor standing avails the Negro if he dares to protect himself against the white man or become his rival. There is nothing we can do about the lynching now as we are outnumbered and without arms. The white mob could help itself to ammunition without pay, but the order is rigidly enforced against the selling of guns to Negroes. There is therefore only one thing left to do, save our money and leave a town which will neither protect our lives and property nor give us a fair trial in the courts, but takes us out and murders us in cold blood when accused by white persons. Memphis blacks took Wells' advice and in two months' time, 6,000 black people left Memphis, many relocating to the Oklahoma Territory. Those who remained organized boycotts of white-owned businesses in response to the lynchings. The very night her article appeared, a mob invaded Wells' offices and destroyed the printing equipment and all the newspapers they could find. Her very life in danger, Wells moved to Chicago, where she continued her blistering attacks on racist criminality and Southern injustice. After the demise of the free speech, a black newspaper called the New York Age began printing her articles, and Wells launched a lecturing tour throughout the Northeast to further spread her message on the horrors of lynching. Later on, in 1892, Wells spoke at a conference of black women's clubs where she was given $500 to investigate lynching and publish her findings. I then began an investigation of every lynching I read about. By 1893, over a thousand black men, women, and children had been hanged, shot, and burned to death by white mobs in America. 
During the late 1800s, violence against blacks increased at alarming rates, and mob rule was becoming the norm. The KKK established a reign of terror, murdering and lynching innocent blacks, while most Southern whites looked the other way. Ida B. Wells traveled across the country interviewing eyewitnesses and visiting the scenes of lynchings. Of the 728 murders she investigated, Wells found that only a third involved blacks actually accused of crimes. Not only men, but women and children were victims of mob violence. Many blacks were hung, shot and burned to death for trivial things such as not paying a debt, disrespecting whites, testifying in court, stealing hogs, and public drunkenness. At least one-third of the charges against black men were for the rape of white women. The racist violence against black men was thus justified as protecting white womanhood. Wells wrote that in many of these so-called rape cases, there was evidence of consensual relationships between black men and white women, evoking outrage among whites. Her findings were published in a pamphlet titled, Southern Horrors, Lynch Law in All Its Phases. Repeating an assertion she frequently made during her anti-lynching crusade, Wells said that she had the one life to give and that if she must die by violence, she would take some of her persecutors with her. She kept a pistol available in her house and dared anyone to cross her threshold to harm her or any member of her family. I just can't tolerate racism. I just can't tolerate Injustice. I just won't tolerate exploitation. What you gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand. stand.
this night in the pips singing you are the wind beneath my wings and now we'll hear a little bit more from my co-host joy moore this is full circle here at 94.1 fm kpfa hello joy moore here I want to reach out to our audience and listeners, past apprentices, family of past apprentices, friends, people who love Full Circle and KPFA. We need your support. It's a hard time for all of us, and you know KPFA brings you the truth. We speak, we speak, (coughs) excuse me. We speak about and to the powerful. We speak for the people, and we need your support. And the only The only way we can do it is with you helping us donate. So I I, uh, recorded this pitch last week, and I'd like to share it with you again. Please call us for uh, donations. I mean, uh, go to online on donations. There's no phone calling now, but you can go to kpfa.org. Donate what you can, when you can. And get other people to call and donate, too, if you appreciate the work that we do. Who else is doing a memorial show for people that they love tonight? Nobody, I'm sure. KPFA is here for you. Also, I want to remind you that we're giving our audience an opportunity to shout out to people that they love and miss who passed away. You can call us at 510-848-4425 or toll-free 1-800-958-9008. For 72 years, KPFA have been bringing you truth to power. For 72 years, we've been working for justice and equality. So I want you to support that work by calling 510-848. I'm sorry, going to our website. I'm getting confused tonight. Going to our website first and donating what you can. KPFA.org slash donate. And we want you to participate in our show tonight and call us at 510-848-4425 
or 1-800-958-9008. Call us and tell us and share with us people you love and miss and who made a difference in your life and you'd like to honor and remember them tonight. Joy Moore here. I'm asking for your continued support of Full Circle. For 72 years, KPFA Pacifica has been telling the story, your story, our story, and our struggle, our mission for justice, equality, and true democracy, speaking truth about and to power. 72 years. I myself am 70, so I can relate to many of these stories. We need you now, our listeners, our supporters, to help us continue to do this important free speech protection work. The apprentices and crew of Full Circle need your help. If you appreciate the stories we bring, that we share, that we tell, your stories, our stories, please give what you can to support the work. Any amount, monthly payments, or all at once. Whatever you can, however you can. Go to kpfa.org slash donate for more information. And this spring, 2021 Drive, everyone who donates to KPFA at any amount will receive Telling the Story, an audio collection, including an event with Angela Davis entitled A Lifetime of Revolution, recorded at USC in 2015. Angela recounts the story of her life and activism. Telling the Story also includes the collection The Idea of Palestine, a speech by Edward Said. In his speech, Edward Said, professor of literature at Columbia University and a public intellectual, explains how Israel cannot defeat the idea of Palestine. This was recorded at the town hall in New York City, July 25, 1982. Professor Said describes the idea of Palestine as a desire for a community of people to be able to live together, tolerant of each other, and possessing self-determination. Though he died at the age of 67 in 2003, this speech given during the 1982 war in Lebanon continues to be relevant today. He was an exceptional historian, teacher and storyteller. Listening to him was always amazing. And additionally on Telling Story, Hard Knocks Radio, David E. spoke with comic legends Dick Gregory and Paul Mooney, now both deceased, and we're sorry to have learned that Paul Mooney passed away Wednesday, May 19th at 79 in Oakland, California. Our condolences to his family and loved ones. Their legacies, their stories are invaluable in the history we must preserve and cherish. We do that here at KPFA. Give, share what you can, and ask others to support our work, our story. For more info and to donate, go to www.kpfa.org slash donate. Support your free speech community radio however you can now. Time is of the essence. Much gratitude to all who have already contributed. We would like you to contribute as well by sharing your stories with us. So we are here at 1-800-958-9008 or 510-848-4425 to hear your story with regard to a person in your life who's been significant to you and now has passed on. In the meantime, we're going to listen to a segment by Jenna Holta, another apprentice who has passed away. After graduation, Jenna went on to co-found Apex Express along with our then director, Rangita Giesler. Let's hear from Jenna. 
Welcome to Japan. I'm always looking for the crossroads where Japan meets the U.S. As an American of Japanese ancestry, I'm always impacted by this intersection, and it's always a part of me. This search takes me to Tokyo, Japan. On crowded trains, I go to record stores near the vast Shibuya train station. People stream by stores that seem to sit on top of each other in one of the most vibrant areas of Tokyo. It's here that I'm introduced to Japanese hip-hop and pick up the CD by Delighted Mint. About eight years ago I went to Japan and got a taste of what's to come, like this CD by a Japanese group called El Malo. Since then, hip-hop by Japanese artists have claimed a niche in the music industry in Japan. Writer and hip-hop music reviewer Eric Arnold says that Shibuya is the center of the music's club scene. Got to see some live hip-hop over there as well. Um, and, and that was really incredible. That was the eye-opener for me. Uh, you know, to go into, you know, a, you know, a, a club and see a hip-hop audience that's, uh, uh, that's completely Japanese and to see the people on stage kicking rhymes in Japanese and everyone's just loving it and it's just kind of like the same vibe, the same feeling that you get from uh, really good American hip-hop, you know, with a cultural twist. To share your experience, call 510-848-4425-9508-9008. You know, hip-hop is really built on a foundation of breakbeats, um, so there's been an appreciation for jazz music in Japan since the 60s. But then you go into, like, a record shop in, in Shibuya, and you'll find everything. I mean, you'll find every Blue Note, every CTI, um... You know, all these, like, hard-to-find labels. The cultural appreciation for that music is there. How much of the music in Japan is imitation or innovation? You know, even though it's been going on there for like about a decade, um, it, it takes a little bit longer to develop it because um, people are still looking for their cultural identity, you know, as young people. Not just, okay, we're traditional Japanese or we're totally westernized, but something in between. I like what I hear from Japan. I like the music and overall production, but can the music be a bridge between two countries that often only know each other through stereotypes? 
don't know how you say it in Japanese, but it was very dramatic on world TV, right? Not very presidential. <laughs> and so I'm sure that's why he lost the election, because he puked over that Japanese ambassador. I need a translator to more closely inform me about Japanese language and culture. I also need a musical innovator to inform me about what's possible in the mix at the crossroads. It's here in the States where I talk with Shingo Annen. He's a young hip-hop artist who came to the U.S. as a teenager. As a result, he's bilingual in Japanese and in English. You know, all the impressions I got being Japanese anywhere. You know, I grew up in Tanzania, England, Japan, and California. So every time, you know, I would go to a different place, I would have to think about, okay, you know, what do people see in me just because I'm Japanese or sometimes just because I'm Asian, you know? and evaporate like the history behind us to remind us not to forfeit the memories. And yes, I do remember. Shingo's recording called Pearl Harbor conjures up words like days of infamy and enemy aliens, meaning people like me, people of Japanese ancestry. Here at the U.S.-Japan crossroads, you can't get away from the controversies. Nobody seems to remember what happened. But I remember, the old guy yelled, why don't you go back where you came from? Uh, you had some samples of uh, from the Vincent Chin uh, play, and Vincent Chin was a... An Asian man who was killed because of, um, well, because of a racist attack and the fear of Japanese taking over economically the U.S. And another sample that I, I heard was from actualities uh, regarding the war uh, with the U.S. and Japan. As far as like what I put into the music, you know, it's not like I'm stuck on those particular themes. But it was almost like when I first started recording, I needed to get those themes out of my system before I wanted to move on. Shingo takes snippets from Japanese movies, TV, and speeches and then puts them back in the mix. When that happens, it's like a story, a soundtrack running in your mind, like on Shingo's recording called Ryoku Oshoku Jinshu. I talk with DJ Bill, a member of Shingo's group, Terracotta Troops. He says that Shingo is good with the lyrics, but that the message is not so important for other Japanese artists now. Some, you know, Japanese hip-hop, sometimes it doesn't mean anything to just, you know, say, you know, uh, for... Good that they flow, they like it flow good. DJ Bill thinks that maybe Japanese hip hop is a trend. Most, you know, most of like high school kids, you know, they have like a turntable and a mixer at home, and then now I think you know it's like slow down right now. Still, there are some artists who are gaining popularity in Japan. Uh, yes, yeah, still it is 
in underground, but there are some artists they, you know, doing like you know hip hop thing, like you know such as a、uh, zebra. Sometimes you just need to sit back and enjoy the music. You may not understand the lyrics, but there's a lot to appreciate. On the trip back,、um, I was flying back and I was listening to、uh, a, a CD mixed by DJ Jin, who's a DJ for Rhymester. Just incredible stuff. And、uh, I remember listening to that CD and watching the dawn break for six continuous hours on the way back. I'm always looking for that U.S.-Japan intersection, a place where car sales and memories of the war don't cause collisions. If I feel like English is my native rap language, you know, and that's my freestyle skills, you know, that, that, I'm cool with that, you know. Hip hop could find a Creative space here, because the music is a popular means of communication and conversation. So you're native. You feel more comfortable conversantly in Japanese or English, just in conversation. About the same, I think.、Yeah. And thinking is both. Neither. <laughs> you definitely stand at the crossroads. I'm Jenna Hotta. Thanks also to Nina Kaori Fallenberg and Michael Yoshida. Okay, now we're going to go to Juan, who has a poem for us. Yes, thank you. Words under years, numbers all the same. Words without any names. A penniless billionaire, drunk who doesn't drink. Glancing stare that I wear. Objects I see that aren't really there. Musical keys of seas, coral sea flavors, under ocean green doors. A beach with no sand, a clock without any hand, a world that has gone mad, and a current fad that is so sad. A dream book missing the pages, lost without pages. Human-animal cages found as dredges, silver-colored ages. A country never led, leaders awakened dead. Too many not fed. It's poem written but never read. In the eyes of my head, trying to say what was already said. Juan. Any good? Can you hear me? Yes, Juan. That was great. Thank you. We are at the end of the show, so I'm gonna go to Joy. I um, I wanted to remind all of you that <clears throat> the work of Apex Express and so many other things at KPFA, people like、mm-hmm. Louis Doria,、uh, and people like you who are listening. Are the ones who keep KPFA together. We want you to support KPFA in any way you can. Again, kpfa.org/org. And I also wanted to remind everyone that when we say people power, we're talking about you. You're the people. It's all of us. So we need your support. Go to kpfa.org, and we only got a couple of minutes. But if there's anybody out there who didn't make a shout, what do you think, Mickey? Can we ask for one more call or no? No, we've only got a minute and a half left. So 
we do want to mention, though, that the apprenticeship program has brought you... It, it trains people in the community and has brought many people um, who have become part of KPFA staff, like Deanna Martinez, Kirsten Thomas, Lucrecia Burton, and Rada Kill. And we are going to be um, opening up for a new group soon, so if you're interested, go to kbfaapprentice.org and see what we're about. You can download an application and you can get more information about the program. Joy, I guess it's time for uh, us to think about giving the credits, uh, but we ask that you please do donate what you can to show your support for this program and this station. 72 years we've been bringing you the voice, giving you a space. Please go to kpfa.org slash donate and give what you can or donate your car or whatever and say you support Full Circle in the work we do. Thank you, Ms. M. So let's, I'm going to let you do the credits, Joy, uh, while I um, monitor the music. (laughs) And please forgive us all of our technical difficulties. We are operating in a very devastating time. And it's difficult to learn new things, particularly for me, who I'm, I'm one of the older people around. So <clears throat> that brings us to the end of tonight's show. We got some music to go with this, Mickey. Thank you to all of our listeners and callers. You can still donate. Keep things running here by going to kpfa.org and click on the donate button. No do- donation too big or too small. Anything except uh, given with love is accepted. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is me, myself. I mean, I wish I was a technical director. Franklin Freewheeling, Franklin Sterling. He's not here tonight. He got a night off. So Joy is our production consultant, and I have to wrap because we have to go to carts. La Onda Bajita is next. Okay. Thank you, sweetie. Bye.